Good morning. I'd like to think this morning that not only is God love, but God is warm. Not too hot, not too cold, but just right. Uh, When you grow up in Northern California, you are a a forever weather wimp. And so I keep thinking I'm going to get used to this stuff, and I don't. Yesterday, I had to go get the mail at 5.30 in the evening, and the mail's not right in front of our house. It's, you know, a, a bunch of mailboxes together. I thought I could handle walking there. So I get all bundled up, and I start walking, and I'm feeling pretty good. I'm like, yeah, I'm not as much of a wimp as I thought. I got this. And then I turned around. (laughs) I cried a little bit. (laughs) Nobody was around, but I cried a little bit. It is cold. And so Danny Minton caught me just a few moments ago and and just has made the decision that tonight for sundown, we're going to not do that this evening just so people aren't trying to get out in the dark and the cold. Um, And so this is the time in the service when the most people are in this room. So I just want you to hear that. We're not going to be doing sundown tonight. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your son. And we thank you for what he means to us. And we thank you that we have seen faithful love face to face. And that we know faithful love by name. And we are so thankful that if we had to choose one word to describe you, that word is love. So God, help us as we listen, as we open our hearts to your word this morning. Help us to have a sense of what that not only means to us, but what it means for us. To be people who are formed by and sustained by a God who is love. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Open your Bibles up to Isaiah chapter 53, starting in verse 1. Who can believe what we have heard? And for whose sake has the Lord's arm or power been revealed? He grew up like a young plant before us, like a a root from dry ground. He possessed no splendid form for us to see, no desirable appearance. He was despised and avoided by others. A man who suffered who knew sickness well. Like someone from whom people hid their faces, he was despised, and we didn't think about him. It was certainly our sickness that he carried and our sufferings that he bore, but we thought afflicted, struck down by God, and tormented. He was pierced because of our rebellions and crushed because of our crimes. He bore the punishment that made us whole. By his wounds, we are healed. Growing up in church, I actually heard these words from Isaiah pretty often. But I I didn't usually hear them during the sermon. I heard them usually during communion. Because Christian people who know the story of Jesus, can't possibly hear these words and not think of Jesus. And yet these words were spoken centuries before Jesus 
was ever on the face of the earth. And so this, this prophet Isaiah is speaking to the people of God, and he's telling them that there's this person, this person who, in a way that is not described, I, I, I need you to understand, it's, it's difficult when we read poetry because we want it to be decisive doctrine. And poetry in scripture is more about imagery and experiences and feelings and thoughts and metaphor. And it, it, it's difficult. But, but these images that we get in Isaiah 53, they're about somebody who does something that we don't fully understand. And that is somehow, some way, this person is able to take on everything that's wrong with us. Everything that's wrong with us. Not, not just sin, though obviously sin is, is included, but, but it says that he knows sickness well. There are many people in this room who, who know sickness all too well. And if you've ever lived with somebody who's sick every single day, who has chronic pain, you know what that does to somebody. You know how it changes them. He doesn't just know sin and sickness. He knows rejection and the sorrow that comes from rejection. We live in a world filled with people who are scared to death of finding out in relationship that somehow, for some reason, they're just not enough. Whether it's because they, they make a mistake or whether it's because they're just not strong enough or, or good enough, we all live with this fear that in the end we're going to be alone. Well, this person knows that feeling and those experiences and those fears. But here, here's where it starts to get difficult for us to fully describe or define or dissect, and that is that in taking those experiences on, somehow this person undoes the damage that all of those experiences have wreaked on our lives. Now, good luck. That, that's about as easy as explaining as the Trinity. How does that work? You know, sometimes I hear people talk about, well, well, Jesus, you know, he pays this debt that he didn't owe, and I owed a debt that I couldn't pay. Yeah, that's, that's true, but that's not even close to being the whole truth. This isn't just about some sort of eternal spiritual death sentence that Jesus takes on, this person takes on for us, so that we don't have to serve out the sentence. That's there. But it's more than that. It's, it's better than that. It's, it's the gospel. Now, for, for years, ever since the moment that the prophet Isaiah spoke these words, there had to be people on the lookout for this suffering servant. Because he says to them, we're not going to see him coming. We're not, we're not going to notice anything. All we're really going to notice is his brokenness. And, and in fact, he's going to be so broken that it's going to be hard to keep looking at him. And so we're going to look away. We're going to look anywhere but there. And it's only going to be later somehow. Isn't that the sense you get? It's only going to be in looking back that we're going to realize that we missed it. That we missed him. So, so generations of Jewish people who hear these words have to be, at, at some point in their lives, trying to look around in their community to see, is this suffering servant, has he shown up yet? 
And there had to be all kinds of people in their lives and in their communities that did things that made them wonder, what if? Somebody who, who loved somebody else enough to take on their brokenness. And through the years, my guess is there were all kinds of people that almost were able to do what Isaiah is talking about. They got close. But it wasn't, it wasn't in its fullness. The, the promise wasn't completely and totally fulfilled until Christmas. Right? Until there's this little baby in a manger. And the only people that, that know anything about it that night are shepherds out in a field. And they come and they hold this, this little child. And that little child from the very beginning has a life that's marked by brokenness. We, we don't read the gospel stories. We, we don't read the beginning of Matthew and Luke not knowing what's going to come later. I mean, there's almost a shadow of a cross that casts its way over that manger from the very beginning. And who wants to think about a child who is born so he can be broken and die? That's not, that's not easy to think about, and, and it's, it's difficult to understand. And, and even from the very beginning, what people are expecting to come true from Isaiah 53 is that somebody would love other people enough to suffer for them and somehow in taking on that suffering, relieve their pain and their sorrow and their brokenness. And they've seen it happen in, in partial ways, but never in full ways. And then instead of some sort of special servant, God sends his own son. God gives us his boy. And I will never forget a communion where Mark Phillips talked about the grief of a father who's lost a son. And he said a lot of different things that resonated deeply with me, but the main thing I've held on to from those words is, I would rather give myself than my son. I'd give anything to give myself instead of having to give my son. And anybody who's ever taken care of a child, who's loved a child, who's been like a parent to a child, knows what Mark is talking about. God's greatest gift isn't only that he gives himself. It's even, it's even more difficult than that, isn't it? He gives his son. Knowing that he's going to be hurt and overlooked and ignored and rejected, and doing it because God understands something from the very beginning that you and I still struggle to understand. And that is, there's only one way to save the world. And it is through suffering love. And it isn't just true one time on a cross 2,000 years ago. It is true then. But it isn't just true then. The only thing powerful enough to overcome all of the brokenness that we have, 
we have to endure and we cause other people to endure. And the things we go through that it's not anybody's fault, just the, the hard, tragic things that we face in this life, the only thing that is powerful enough to change the world, to save the world, is freely given suffering love. See, you and I would rather that just have to be a story that's told once and then it's over. We'd rather get to, to sing about Christmas and study the Christmas story and miss that, that Jesus is trying to do something more than just come to the earth to commute this eternal death sentence that you and I have. Jesus comes to make us whole in every way that we are not yet whole. All the things that you bring with you when you come to church on Sunday mornings that make you feel afraid or tired or weary or nervous, all of those things, Jesus comes to heal, to set us free, and to show us something that's so hard for us to see. I remember years ago watching a very difficult, brutal movie, and I'm not in any way recommending the movie. I'm just saying I, I will always remember the first 15 minutes of the movie Saving Private Ryan. War is unspeakably horrible. And for me, it was the first time I was forced to sit through and look at it. And there was a part of me that wanted to stop looking at it. There was a part of me that couldn't stop watching what was going on and what people were having to endure. And you watch that whole film. You get to the very end of it, and it's, it's just one brutal moment after the next, with a few conversations in between. You get to the very end, and basically everybody in the movie that you've cared about has died, except for Private Ryan. And Tom Hanks, who stars in every movie, it seems like ever, right? He's... He's in it, and he's, he's dying, and he whispers something to Private Ryan. Do you remember what he whispers? How many people have seen it? Earn this. He's, got, he's bleeding. He says it through clenched teeth. Earn this. Now, I don't know if you remember what happens right after that in the film, but it basically fast-forwards to the end of Private Ryan's life, and so he's now an elderly gentleman, and he's there with his grown adult daughter, and they're there at a cemetery, and he's in front of Tom Hanks' character's grave, and he is racked with insecurity and guilt because he's not sure he's been good enough to earn this. I think that's what Steven Spielberg and Tom Hanks wanted you to feel as a moviegoer when you were watching it, and I remember having that experience, that 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 question, how in the world do you earn this? Now, I, I, want you, I want you to remember, I want you to remember a time in your life when somebody did something for you that was an undeserved blessing that you knew they didn't have to do for you, they chose freely to sacrifice for you. Chances are they didn't say to you, earn this. But you might have felt like you somehow had to try to earn it anyway. Once that emotion 
becomes the basis for, for how you relate to somebody else, it's really difficult for that relationship to grow and to deepen. Because it's like you're never going to be good enough. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know, Jesus isn't on the cross giving his life for you and for me, and then looking at the camera and saying through clenched teeth, earn this. He's not. I'm not saying there's no place in your life for that kind of emotion. I'm just saying that emotion doesn't belong in the story of Jesus because Jesus doesn't do something for us in order to to paint us into some sort of ethical or moral corner where there's only one thing we can do, and if we don't do it perfectly, we're going to live forever in fear that we're not quite good enough. And it makes me nervous because I have known many faithful Christian men and women who have lived their lives terrified that even though they believe God loved them enough to send Jesus to die for them, they've got to somehow find out how to earn this. And they are good, kind people who are scared to death. That can't be the gospel. Jesus gives his life. He doesn't say earn this. I think he actually says something that's even more challenging. He says, follow me. Follow me. Don't just read Isaiah 53 and and think about me and all the things I did for you and, and feel good because you get to benefit from it. Follow me. Now, you and I clearly do not have the ability in any way, shape, or form to perfectly follow Jesus. And we have not been asked by God or anyone else to die in order to save the world. That is a piece of Jesus' story. That is a part of Jesus' experience that belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. This mystical salvation that's described in Isaiah 53 where somehow somebody chooses freely to be broken for the sake of other people and somehow in being broken for them, he relieves their pain and their sorrow of their own brokenness. That experience for, for all of creation and for, for all of, uh, of history, all of that, that happens because of Jesus on the cross. I'm not saying any one of us can replace Christ in that way, but I, I do believe that what Jesus is saying is, as hard as it is for us to accept, if we really want to join God in, in saving this world, if we want to be a part of what God is doing, the only real way forward is for us to freely decide to suffer for the sake of people we love. And that something happens that, that changes not only them in that moment, but changes us and changes the people around us and changes the world. It's, it's hard to love that way. And we talk a lot here at Southern Hills in, in different ways about God and God's love. We talk about self-giving love. Self-giving love is the essence of the gospel. But I think if, if you push it to its extremity, if, if, you, if you push self-giving love to its essence, it is suffering love. It is love that says, if I could choose to hurt so you don't have to, I will. You remember what Paul says at the end of Romans when he's nervous about all the 
the Jewish people that may not come to faith? He says something that makes me really uncomfortable every time I read it. He says, I I wish I could be cursed so they wouldn't have to be. I wish I could go to hell for them. Who do you love that much? Who do you love that much? Man, that's hard. It's it's difficult to to look at how the gospel plays itself out, not just just as something we receive, but, but a shape of life that we have been invited by God to live because if there's gonna be any hope for the world, it's not in getting even, and it's not in keeping score, and it's not in making sure that people have to feel all the pain that we feel like they rightfully deserve to have to go through. That's not how the world changes. That's how the world doesn't change. Freely given, suffering love that refuses resentment. Freely given, suffering love that refuses resentment. There's a few people in this world I love enough to suffer for, but then I struggle with resenting them for it. Have you ever been there? I mean, when, when my daughter Reese is eating way more than one bite of my donut, I'm going to let her have it, but I'm angry, <laughs> right? When, when Lauren calls me and says, yeah, the, the day kind of fell apart, and I need you to pick up this stuff, and then I need you to get dinner ready, and I need you to, you know, and I'm thinking, yeah, 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 you owe me. <laughs> what? I hope she never starts keeping score. You struggle with that, right? That... And, and I want to be clear about this because this is always how I get. I'm not talking about suffering love that's the result of abuse. I'm, I'm not talking about that. If you're in a relationship where you don't feel safe, you need to come talk to one of us in, in church leadership and we will help you be safe. But I'm not, I'm not talking about being forced to suffer for somebody else. I'm talking about freely chosen suffering love that refuses resentment. That's what Christmas means. That's what Christmas is. That's, that's God's greatest gift. It's, it's this one, it's God, finding a way to break into our broken lives and heal us by suffering with us and for us. And as much as we'd like for it to be a history lesson, it's still happening, and it will happen every time we gather around this story and we are reminded that Jesus didn't live a certain way so that he could give us this eternal gift and then, and then he's gone. That's, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus shows us a better way. It is, it is the most costly way we could possibly imagine, but it's the only way that works. It's the only way forward in a world where people hurt each other on purpose, on an accident, and and we just keep messing up and stumbling. The only way forward is for somebody to say, I will not demand my right to get even. I will not force my way. I love you too much to turn you into an enemy. I love you too much to exact revenge. I love you too much to do anything that would hurt you, and if there's any way that I can hurt so that you don't have to, that's the kind of person I am. It's certainly the kind of Savior we have and the the kind of God that we have. 
it's small. It's really small. But I went to see my parents. We all went to see my, my folks at Thanksgiving. And when we were flying back, about the day we, we were going to fly back, Lauren and I had been paying enough kind of attention to figure out Reese, who has struggled her whole life with severe uh, ear, ear infections and, and other things. We could tell she probably had an ear infection. But, you know, we had a couple of hours to try to get out of town. You're thinking through, okay, we'll, we'll just give her some ibuprofen, and we'll, we'll get through this. And I'm telling you, the 15 minutes of trying to land in Dallas was the longest 15 minutes of my life. You know, she's five. Um, she can take you, but she's five. And she was trying to be a big girl and not cry. And she was holding my hand as tight as she possibly could and tears were just streaming down her face because it was hurting and I kept praying God make my ears hurt so her her ears will stop hurting I don't even know why would you say that prayer right it's the prayer of a parent that's watching their child hurt just I'll take anything just take that away from her right that's that's the love that God has for us. And it's the love God wants to work in our lives so that we will love other people that way and not just our children and our spouses, but that we would learn to love everybody that way. That we wouldn't be able to turn away from suffering. We would run to it and we would bear up under it for the sake of other people because that's how God loves us and is teaching us to love. It's what Christmas means. It's what, it's what Christmas is about. We give gifts to one another because in some way we're trying to say, I, wanna, I want to bless you. I want to help you. Brothers and sisters, in the end, the gifts of Christmas can't be wrapped up under a tree. The gift of Christmas is hanging on a tree and asking us to follow. I want to be up to it. I want to live like that. And I've seen people in in moments live that way. And I've been thinking about them all week. People who chose to hurt so I wouldn't have to. Or chose to hurt so somebody else wouldn't have to. And how how amazing that is. How much that changes everything. I, I decided I wanted to go into preaching when I was a senior in high school. I was 17 years old. And I decided with just a few months left in the school year. And as soon as I told my parents... They weren't sure exactly how they felt about it, my dad being a preacher, and, you know, there's some unique challenges when you grow up in a ministry home, and my, my dad didn't want me to hurt in the same ways that he had been hurt. But he wasn't going to dissuade me, and so he, he mentioned it in passing to a woman in our church. Her name is Joanne Ware. She was uh, an elderly woman who had never married, who had never had very much at all, but had always worked hard and had saved and had, had taken care of herself and, and was just one of those people that would do anything for anybody. But I had always noticed she was very careful with how and when she spent money. And my dad was mentioning to Joanne that I was thinking about going into preaching. A month later, Joanne pulls me aside after church on Sunday morning and she's got some paperwork with her and it is the beginning of a retirement fund for me. And with that paperwork is an article that she had, had read 
that talked about how few preachers had anything for retirement. And she didn't want that for me. And so she had opened up these accounts with mutual funds, and she promised to keep putting money in there all throughout my undergraduate and college. Now, Joanne didn't say to me, earn this. But I thought of Joanne every time I didn't want to do my homework. I did. And there were nights the only reason I did my homework was because of her. Because I knew she was sacrificing to bless me. And I wanted to, I wanted to do something in response to that. I didn't want to ignore it. I didn't want to take it for granted. My mother has always suffered significantly uh, with migraine headaches. And they are completely debilitating. I remember the first couple of times it happened, we were all afraid that she was, you know, dying or something, or there was something wrong that was... And so she, she's always struggled uh, throughout her life. And as she's gotten older, they seem like they've gotten worse and more frequent. She's gone to all kinds of doctors, and she's tried all kinds of diets. And, you know, when you're, you're sick to your stomach or your, your head, you want to be alone. And so what that means for my mom is for a few days, she's just alone, in the dark, in the quiet. We, we went together to a Bible lectureship in Pepperdine. And a man there was preaching. Some of you may have heard of him. His name's Jim McGuigan. He's from Ireland. He's a, a famous Church of Christ preacher, or, or at least he was. And at the time, he'd been assigned to talk about Job. And so he was talking about suffering, and he started talking about his own wife. And his wife struggled with her health and was um, trapped in a wheelchair. And, and he talked about all that. And then he asked a what-if question. It wasn't anything you could prove, right? It was just a what-if question, but it stayed with my mom. I remember hearing it in the sermon. It just didn't really connect with me the way it connected with her. Jim just asked the question, what if, what if humanity is in a war against suffering, and when you're on the front lines, it means somebody you care about doesn't have to be? Just a what-if. But the next time my mother had a migraine and she was in a dark room for a couple of days by herself in the dark, when she came out, she said to me, Jared, if when I go in there, it means that people that I love and care about don't have to be hurting, I'd ask for even more headaches. What? That doesn't even make sense. but it's suffering love, right, for, for the sake of other people, wishing somehow. If I'm going to have to hurt, I wish at least it would mean you didn't have to hurt. A couple of holidays ago, I shared with you uh, that my sister Rachel and her husband were having difficulties. He had decided he wanted a different kind of lifestyle than a married uh, father of two little boys, and so uh, he left my sister Rachel and... Uh, tried to, to start a different kind of life for himself. And I remember calling, and I remember self-giving love that refuses resentment. I remember thinking, this is going to ruin our holidays. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get there two days after this bomb goes off, and guess who's going to have to work the whole time sitting down and talking to people and counseling them and 
It's embarrassing. Anyway, uh, my father is a wise, firm uh, man of, I would say, dignity and I, my dad's a, a man of pride. And I remember him calling me a couple of days after Terrence had left, and he said, son, I've set up a lunch with him, uh, and he's agreed to come, so I'm just going to, I'm literally going to beg him not to do this to your sister and to your, your nephews. And I said, what do you mean you're going to beg him? He's a jerk. He said, son, I would, I would say or do anything to help, help your your sister I would do anything and so they went to lunch and by all accounts my father begged him to reconsider and apologized to Terrence for the ways our family had had failed him to make him feel like he wanted to stay and he just told him if there's any place in your heart that would make you want to come back I, I'll do anything to help you come back we'll, we'll do anything please Terrence was only gone three weeks it was a long brutal three weeks and it's a three weeks that I'm not sure their marriage is ever going to fully get over this side of heaven but they're together and he came back and when I have talked to Terrence, he mentions over and over that moment with my father where he realized how far my dad was willing to go for his little girl. Right. Suffering love that refuses resentment. It's what Christmas is about. It's what Christmas means. And if you and I are going to believe that it's true, it's not enough to be grateful and thankful. It's not. We have to be inspired we have to be encouraged to believe that it didn't just happen once. It keeps happening in a million ways. It keeps happening. And usually you and I don't see it because, as Isaiah warns us, we don't tend to see it. We're looking other ways. We're, we're too worried about ourselves and what we want, what we're trying to get accomplished and all that. And he just says, slow down and look. All those places where people choose to hurt so someone else doesn't have to, that's Jesus. That's Jesus there. That's Jesus present. That's, that's Christmas. If you want to give somebody a gift this year, give them yourself. Give them your heart. You be God's greatest gift this Christmas. You, you do the things that Jesus has, has empowered and equipped you to do. You can do this. You can choose to hurt so someone else doesn't have to. And you can choose to hurt so someone else doesn't have to and not resent it. It's a lot easier to give yourself than your son or your daughter or somebody else that you care about. That's not what, what God's asking. He couldn't even go through it with Abraham, right? He can't, he's not asking for anybody's children. He's asking for you. He's asking for me to make the choice to be there for somebody and to believe that when we try to take away someone else's brokenness and sorrow and pain, we can't make that transfer happen. But time and again, brothers and sisters, I have watched as God makes that possible. Give yourself this Christmas.
Give yourself the way our God gives himself and trust that that's how the world is saved. We're going to sing now together, and as we do, our shepherds and their wives will be standing in various places throughout this room to to pray with you, to receive you, to talk with you. So if you came this morning and, and you want to find out more about what it would mean to follow Jesus or what it would mean to be a part of our church, or if you just have something you, you need to talk about with a Christian couple, they want to they wanna be there for you. So I'm going to ask those couples to stand up real briefly so you can see where they are in the room. Uh, go to them as together we stand and sing.